Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Tseng, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Fever Dreams listeners, I sincerely hope that none of you grew too attached to co-host William Summer. And if you had, I have some very bad news for you. The cover story is that Will is currently on leave for a while. He has more of his upcoming book to finish, and fame has, quite frankly, gone to his head. And he's off developing a new pilot for HBO Max, which will serve as a direct sequel to Tim Allen's Last Man Standing. And later this month, Will is scheduled to take his long-awaited pilgrimage to Bertaria. However, the truth, and the non-cover story version of it, is that Fever Dreams producer Jesse Cannon and I have executed a coup d'etat against William Summer, as he has been deemed by Fever Dreams Tribunal to be insufficiently woke. It was recently brought to our attention that Will once tweeted that General Sao's chicken was his favorite authentic Chinese dish, which we here at Fever Dreams view as unspeakably crossing our moral line. So he had to go. Anyway, in his absence, and as we airbrush him from Fever Dreams history and replace his voice with audio clips of Chef from South Park, we welcome the rise of other esteemed co-hosts, including this week, returning Fever Dreams all-star and Daily Beast reporter Kelly Weil. Kelly, welcome to your first hosting gig on this podcast. How does it feel? Well, more and more people are saying it. Sleepy Will Sommer did not win this election. I have hired the CEO of Raymore and Flanagan Furniture to conduct an audit that will conclusively show that I won and I I host this podcast now. It's great to be hosting the show. Uh, I am going to be implementing mandatory veganism for all the show's participants and its listeners. Um, And uh, also, I legally own Will's bike now, which is pretty cool. So what? just out of curiosity, what is your favorite Chinese? restaurant dish oh no oh no the tri- the tribunal's knocking what is it door. just say it <gasps> uh, lo mein i'm like scanning a scanning a menu get um, the fuck off my show jesse and i will do this alone right. thank you for your time kelly all right joining will and gitmo no in all seriousness i'm so glad to be here i am so glad to have dethroned will until the day that he makes his triumphant return Moving on, for this next segment, Kelly and I want to welcome one of our esteemed Daily Beast colleagues, senior researcher and reporter, Adam Ronsley. Adam, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. No, of course. I want to bring you on with Kelly because over the past few days, both you and Kelly have been teaming up to do some really ace reporting on horse paste 
and how it relates to the coronavirus pandemic. Can you help our listeners get their heads around whatever the hell you guys are talking about right now? So as I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, hydroxychloroquine was the popular bogus COVID cure for a while when there was no vaccine available and people started popping that left, right and center. But hydroxychloroquine is no longer the it girl of the conspiracy verse and it has shifted to a different drug, sort of similar in the sense that it's based on something that is FDA approved and that people take. It's called ivermectin and it's used to treat parasites and fungus and stuff like that. But the problem is that people have been burning through people ivermectin. And so they're turning to horse ivermectin in the form of horse paste that is given to horses to cure like bot flies and ringworm and parasites and all kinds of stuff. And Adam, one thing that we found was it's not just horse paste. People are using something called sheep drench, which is uh, (laughs) just this big, big jug of sheep liquid that you pour into a sheep. Uh, We found someone who was complaining that he could only find ivermectin for pet parrots. So it's (laughs) really robbed the pet supply co here. So why was the headline of your story focused so much on horses? Why was there sheep erasure? (laughs) <laughs> not not a the horse one is really popular because the box has in large capital letters apple flavor exclamation point so we talked to some poison control folks we've subsequently received emails from a uh, pro horse paste uh inclined doctors and horse paste really seems like the move that's the one that they are all doctors Dr. Singular. (laughs) Okay. The interesting thing is I have gotten more hate mail on this than any other subject I have ever written for on The Daily Beast. And when you get hate mail from quote unquote doctors and look up their names, uh, you find that like half of them have lost their medical licenses or (laughs) can't prescribe controlled substances anymore. Are these guys who are blowing up your inboxes, are they claiming that They are using horse or sheep paste to try to cure the coronavirus or using it on themselves or tried it? Yes. Okay. It's a mixture of we're using the human pills, but also the horse stuff is safe. And why are you complaining about the horse paste? So hydroxychloroquine was kind of the bell of the ball in the conspiracy world. Every fake doctor and two-time, two-bit telegram owner was promoting it. And lo and behold, it didn't really work. So they needed to pivot. Some folks have turned to ivermectin because there have been a few studies that showed that maybe um, it had some promising results on COVID patients. Unfortunately, most of the best uh, studies there have been withdrawn or have had serious issues with them. And medical authorities are suggesting some serious new research before anybody starts prescribing it for COVID. But some of our friends in the alt medical community aren't really waiting for those new studies. They're just diving right on in. The pathways for a new hydroxychloroquine have been kind of paved already. So everyone who is shilling that has just gone on to the next one with this drug. But a conjoining thread between the hydroxychloroquine craze and the horse and sheep stuff craze, I (laughs) can't believe we're fucking talking about this right now, (laughs) is the demon sperm doctor contingent. Is that correct? Yes. Explain to our audience what the demon sperm stuff actually was, but just so I'm not doing fake news here, they were all about hydroxychloroquine a while ago, like a year ago, last summer. Yes. Readers of Will Summer will remember the demon sperm doc. There's a group called America's Frontline Doctors, 
still going. And it's a bunch of very MAGA-oriented doctors who have some interesting beliefs about whether or not aliens have sex with humans and <laughs> whether or not demon sperm is responsible for certain medical maladies. You can't prove that they're not. <laughs> That's just like med school, like 601. Like all the other doctors who don't preach that, they're just not at that level yet. <laughs> So, I mean, this group was really promoting hydroxychloroquine, and it's interesting how it's come back around with ivermectin because it's sort of like the vertical integration of the conspiracy version, the sense that before America's frontline doctors was just hyping up hydroxychloroquine as a potential treatment for coronavirus. But now, why hype these things when you could make money off them? And so right now, if you go to the America's frontline doctors website, which don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they have a whole referral system where they will refer you to a doctor online who will do a consult for like 90 bucks and then point you to this online pharmacy startup in Florida. And they're advertising this as a way for you to get people ivermectin or people hydroxychloroquine and get your pills. So it's interesting is that they've gone from being content to just promote these conspiracies to now finding a way to make money. Okay, how harmful are these alleged treatments potentially to the human body? So I spoke with a poison control expert who said that, yeah, they have seen a spike of instances of people taking horse paste and calling up and saying, why does my tummy hurt? It's probably I, not going to do- I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> the apple flavor couldn't be wrong. <laughs> No. So in most cases, it's not going to like hospitalize you. But as is the case with taking any non-human medication, it's really inadvisable. And I don't know if this is a new thing, but it's something that Adam and I came across when we were looking up these products now is at the very top of the page on these veterinary medical sites to say not for human consumption because it's a picture of a sheep. You're not meant to be drinking sheep liquid. So I think it's all a question of quantity, how often you drink sheep drench. But the bottom line here is it's not advisable. And when you guys were scouring the vast online to see how much far this had spread on your uncle or aunt's Facebook pages or subreddits or anything like that, how prominent has this become in the, let's just assume, anti-vaccine contingents of the vast conspiratorial online? I mean, it's definitely the new hot drug. There are entire Facebook groups devoted just to converting dose. Because the thing is, with horse ivermectin, they have to use like weight charts. For, so like there's people like using the charts that you would use to dose a horse by weight to figure out like what dose you should have. And there's entire Facebook groups where people are helping like convert those doses. And it gets super dark. I mean, there's like, there's some woman saying like, how do I convert this dose to a horse paste dose for an eight-year-old? I'm like, oh my God, someone called shop services. To give you a sense of how prominent it's become, it has warped Amazon's recommendation engine, is that you can get horse ivermectin and horse paste on Amazon without a prescription because people assumed at the time no one would ever be sucking down animal drugs, so why require a prescription? And it's so prominent on Amazon that now when you try to buy horse ivermectin on Amazon, the recommendation engines will start showing you all the different other quack cures. 
So like for a while, people were taking hydroxychloroquine with zinc. So when you go on the uh, horse ivermectin page on Amazon, it shows you zinc. It shows you all these other sort of weirdo esoteric supplements that sort of never got off the ground, but are popular as folk remedies for COVID. And the darkest one of them is that like the last thing that they recommend for you when you go to the horse ivermectin page on Amazon is a pulse oximeter, which people buy when they get COVID because they're trying to track how much oxygen they're actually getting in there. So you can see Amazon's recommendation engine is telling us that this isn't working so well. What do the concentric circles look like when you put this group of Americans up against the people who are addicted to the internet, who believe that Trump won the 2020 presidential election and think Dr. Fauci should be put in Gitmo? Like, is that just one circle or how does that work? I would say it's Almost a complete circle. I got one email from a guy who claims to be vaccinated and still pre- taking preventative ivermectin. I'm going to take that in itself with a grain of salt. But this is really popular in conspiracy circles. It's really big on telegrams. It's really big in like Bitcoin circles, you know, people trying to escape the tyranny of fiat currency. So it's got a very predictable fan base. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you guys about this is, is it possible for one of you to read the email from the doctor who uh, complained to you about your story after it went up a few days ago. Oh, man. Yeah, you've got the DMs. He's DMing me. I'm not answering. So I got a Twitter DM from a doctor, and I I use that term loosely because he lost his license. And when I looked him up, he lost his license for a variety of good reasons, one of which was he was prescribing crazy amounts of opioids. And the other one was that he was having sex with his patients. So his state medical board called an audible on that one. Well, the documentary Nip Tuck tells me that you're allowed to do that. Apparently not in his state. That's frowned upon by the Board of Ethics. So he doesn't practice anymore. Still uses the term doctor. And here's my DM with him. Adam, you were given false information about ivermectin. The pills are over the counter in most countries and the animal forms in all. See my post here on and on Facebook. It is a miracle drug. I take the horse paste, which has the same ivermectin <laughs> as the pills. Which is interesting to me because this guy probably could get a prescription for the the human version, but he prefers the horse paste. I guess it's the apple flavor. (laughs) Adam, it's so funny because while we were writing this, I was taking great care to be like, okay, there's human ivermectin, which some doctors will prescribe, and then there's animal ivermectin. And this guy's like, no, I'm a doctor. Take the animal ivermectin. Whoa. I brushed my teeth with that shit. Adam, for the past few weeks, you have been doing great reporting for us on this network of anti-vaccine accounts and how they're trying to undermine confidence in American medicine. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're finding? Yeah. So we did a story a couple of weeks ago about this network of trolls run by a Russian marketing firm called Faz. And it looks like basically what they've been tasked with doing by unknown parties is trying to denigrate Western vaccines like the AstraZeneca dose and the Pfizer dose in order to make Russia's own vaccine, Sputnik V, seem a lot more preferable. They got caught around about in May trying to pay off European influencers to hype this chart that was supposed to be hacked 
from Pfizer, and it's supposed to show how Pfizer's dose was super lethal. It did not actually show that. But we started digging into it, and what we found was a small network of Facebook trolls where they're trying to convince people in like the villages in Florida that they've managed to do a hack and leak operation, and that they found this secret chart that shows all of this horrible stuff about the Pfizer vaccine and how it's killing people. And the hilarious part of it is that it's just the absolute struggle bus. This is like the people who flunked out of the GRU and could not get into the GRU, basically. But to their credit, they were savvy enough to know that if you're going to target a group of Americans with this kind of nonsense, you should really hone in on the villages in Florida. Like you're not worth your paycheck in this kind of troll network if you don't know that that is a top target. Yeah, they grasped enough of the American idiom to realize that like, hey, Florida is where, you know, when the earth tilts, all the loose bits roll down to Florida. So they started targeting that. They were targeting Mississippi, which has a huge vaccine skepticism problem. I think they're one of the, they have one of the lowest vaccine uptake rates. And so I was a little bit confused because initially, like all the accounts that were promoting this were, they had Indian avatars and Indian names, and they had listed their locations in India. And my assumption was that this was like some sort of spam network that had been bought or hacked or rented and used to promote this kind of stuff. And they were pretending to be hackers. They were using very, very well-known, they're basically trying to game the media who's familiar with this type of stuff because they were using the tactics of a very well-known Russian intelligence disinformation crew, even though it's very clearly it wasn't them. They were trying to make it seem like it was them. And then yesterday, Facebook sort of answered our question as to why all these accounts were looking like they were based in India is because they basically repurposed the infrastructure they had set up for an earlier campaign to try and do the same exact thing in India with the AstraZeneca dose. And again, they are just as terrible at grasping the Indian idiom as they are at trying to reach American audiences. They were using screenshots from Planet of the Apes <laughs> to try and convince people that the AstraZeneca vaccine was going to turn them into chimpanzees. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You explain that a little bit more? So the thin thread, as with a lot of conspiracies, you start out with a half shred of truth and build upon that. And the half shred of truth that they're building on with the AstraZeneca vaccine is that it's a viral vector vaccine, which means it uses a harmless virus. Your body is full of all kinds of viruses. Not all of them are necessarily bad or going to hurt you. And so they use an adenovirus that is often found in chimpanzees, and it's basically harmless in humans. It doesn't cause anything. And they put their little vaccine dose in there, and that's sort of what rockets it through your body to make sure you get all the uptake and that your cells and antibodies have enough exposure to this to kill it. And they're using that to claim that people are going to turn into chimpanzees if they get the AstraZeneca vaccine. Are they using screenshots from the old Planet of the Apes movies? Yes. Oh, 1960s one. Yeah. And okay. So, so like, like James yeah. Franco and John Lithgow aren't like showing up in this. Not the new one. This is this is old school Charlton Heston with the rope around his neck saying, uh, with like little cartoon bubbles in Hindi, like, I don't want to turn into an ape. I don't trust you, AstraZeneca. It's funny because in a world of really regrettable vaccine skepticism and anti-vax sentiment is that they can't even, the OGs are so much better at this than the Russians themselves is that like we saw with the 2016 stuff when they were trying to pivot off of Black Lives Matter stuff or like pro-Confederacy stuff, they're just never going to be as good as the original. It's funny. I talked to so many furries online. Like I think they'd have some takers. <laughs> and that's the other thing is that like <laughs> you would think that it just stands the test of logic is like, listen, how many AstraZeneca doses are there? Has there been like a rampant wave of feral <laughs> chimpanzees running throughout the cities? No. 
perhaps <laughs> the side effects are not as advertised. But no, no, I guess this is what they went with. And someone at the Faz office in Moscow is like, yo, boss, I got an idea. And they said, fuck it, go with it. It's like the person who came up with this probably fancied themselves as smart as the Americans who came up with the Iran-Contra scandal. It's like, I got it. You see this a lot in information operations stuff is we like to think of this as a spooky intelligence world and all sorts of scary. But at the end of the day, like a lot of life is basically like a version of the office. And it just so happens that this version of the office is involved in like information operations. And so the normal bureaucratic politics apply, which is that like, listen, somewhere someone at the Sputnik office was just like, listen, there's too many people getting the vaccines that are good. And so we need to do some sort of dirty work and dirty up these vaccines. And once that happens, I mean, listen, you got money, you've got a budget, you've got a contract, you got to show some kind of work, you got to show that you've done something, and this is something. <laughs> I love the idea that this is like a Russian agent filing his story like 45 minutes after deadline. They're like, yeah, yeah, boss, totally. It's uh, it's chimpanzees. We've got how many thousands of rubles to do this contract? We need to put out something to show work. Let's do it. Chimpanzees. Two quick things. Number one, for any of our listeners who are, in fact, Floridians, I just want to call back to an earlier part in the episode. Adam was just kidding. We love you. Take a joke. And secondly, you've been sort of scraping at this for a while during this segment, but your analysis of this is showing that for as bottomed out as we are in terms of millions upon millions of Americans buying dangerous conspiracy theories, this one does not have that many takers. Yeah. Basically, in Facebook's report, they were highlighting the fact that even in India, people were making fun of them in the comment section. Like when they tried, they got, to the extent they got engagement, it was negative engagement. And like Indian Facebook users were like, okay, Dr. Google, yeah, we're going to turn into chimpanzees. No, thank you. So Facebook commissioned an internal report on this network? So yeah, Facebook does monthly coordinated inauthentic behavior reports, which is basically a post-2016 development after all of the Russian hijinks during the election. Once a month, Facebook will dump what they know about usually state-driven or at the very least massively coordinated inauthentic behavior, which is essentially people using sock puppets to drive a particular narrative. And so this one came out and they were able to attribute all of this stuff to this Russian company in part because this Russian company is just not very good at hiding the tracks. Got it. Okay. I myself am a Johnson and Johnson man. Does that mean I'm going to turn into a cow instead of a chimpanzee? Hmm. I, I guess I would have to think of what Johnson and Johnson's spirit animal is. I don't know what your Pokemon evolution, whether this is like a poison type vaccine or a water type vaccine, but let's just say you're going to be a Pikachu in three weeks. Well, when you turn into a cow, then you can use the horse ivermectin. <laughs> Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. This week's guest is none other than Cameron Joseph, a senior political reporter at Vice News. Over the past year, Pam has emerged as one of the most interesting and dogged reporters covering the trajectory of the modern Republican Party as it entered its latest accelerated phase of anti-democracy. His series of reports on the party's war against expanded voting rights, particularly at the state and local levels, is essential reading to those looking to understand how the party is now operating behind the scenes, oftentimes in concert with Donald Trump himself. You can follow him for his scoops and blistering insights at Cam underscore Joseph on Twitter.com. Cam, welcome to Fever Dreams. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Cam, you've been doing great reporting on the power struggle within the GOP, specifically how Trump keeps fucking up Mitch McConnell. Can you tell us a little bit about how that dynamic is playing out and what that means for a kind of normie conservative politician like Mitch McConnell, who wants a functioning majority in the Senate? Yeah, that's the the big question of the day, right? We saw Mitch McConnell basically give up, basically say that he's had it with Trump during the last couple of months of the post-election period. While publicly also saying that if he were the nominee in 2024, he would absolutely support him. Mitch McConnell is kind of walking a tightrope where, I mean, what he cares about is Mitch McConnell and the Senate GOP. And he wants himself and his conference as empowered as possible. And so long as Trump was doing stuff that was making that easier and working with them to, to do things they wanted to do, he was cool with it. You know, cutting taxes, awesome. Supreme Court justices, that's all he cares about. Once he started getting into these anti-democratic areas, they started getting a little queasy. And McConnell was totally fine with Trump challenging in the courts and alleging all of these kind of crazy things as long as when the end of the day came around and the courts had settled things that Trump was going to move on. And there's that famous background quote about, you know, what's the harm in humoring him that came from McConnell and that I think we saw very clearly what the harm was on January 6th. And McConnell was livid and, and he was already angry at Trump for the weeks leading up to it. People forget that as the Senate and Capitol started getting stormed, McConnell had just wrapped up a speech where he had just laid into Trump and, and basically said this is the most important vote he's ever cast was confirming Joe Biden's election victory. And then Trump basically just got furious at McConnell. He got angrier and angrier. McConnell and Trump haven't talked since mid-December. And then McConnell really let Trump have it during impeachment with, with a really eviscerating speech, but then at the same time voted against banning Trump from running from office again and voted against impeaching Trump. His argument was that you can't impeach a guy who's already out of office. And so McConnell's in the situation where he can't piss off the GOP base too much, but he clearly wants to move on from President Trump. And he basically hasn't mentioned Trump's name since the impeachment vote, even as he's done a couple of things to to help Trump by killing the, the bipartisan investigation into Uh, what happened on January 6th. And Trump really doesn't seem that interested in moving on. We saw a statement that came out recording this Tuesday that Trump just popped right before the Senate passed this infrastructure bill. And and what Trump had to say was, I've quietly said for years that Mitch McConnell is the most overrated man in politics, and I don't have to be quiet anymore, and went on to say he's working so hard to give Biden the victory. That's one of the latest shots across the bow that McConnell has taken uh, with kind of a stiff upper lip, because McConnell can't just go 
on blasting Trump because a lot of the GOP base still loves Trump. And look, Donald Trump, how many women did he credibly sexually assault and, and harass over the years that came forward during the 2016 campaign? Republicans kind of broke and ran for a couple of weeks and then all came together and fell back under Trump to try and help him push through an election day. And he won in 16, right? And that's kind of been water under the bridge for years. We've seen plenty of Republicans who have had pretty bad sex scandals. And, and actually, interestingly, one of the few breaks that we really saw between Trump and McConnell during the, the Trump years was when McConnell finally had it after Roy Moore had been credibly accused of sexually assaulting a minor. And Trump ended up standing by him and trying to get Roy Moore elected in Alabama and felt just short of, of having a Senator Roy Moore there. And so there have been these moments where McConnell says, OK, this is enough. And Trump never has enough. And there's the difference between Trump and McConnell is McConnell is willing to play as hard and dirty and aggressive as he can on the field of play while Trump wants to move the goalposts. McConnell, I think, genuinely believes that there is a line that you need to draw in the sand where by democracy is no longer, democracy needs to be defended at some base level, even if he wants to set up the rules for democracy to make it a minoritarian rule to protect his own party and his own interests. But Trump doesn't have any of those guardrails on an authoritarian belief. And there's a fundamental difference in how the two men see the world. Trump only wants power. Mitch McConnell only wants power within the system that he thinks he can kind of play around the edges with, but not actually fundamentally destroy. Okay, so in your reporting, what are you seeing that's going on behind the scenes that is not playing out in the public sphere in terms of this Cold War and competing visions for the Republican Senate between Team Mitch and Team Trump? Well, I think the Trump side of the equation, there is not much behind the scenes, right? The only difference between what we saw through 2016 and 20 to 2020 and now is that instead of Trump tweeting his stream of thought consciousness, he's now giving it to an aide to send out as a statement. And so all of the angry complaints that Trump has are just dropping unfiltered like they always have. And there's a big stylistic difference. You know, Trump is the man who can't self-edit and Mitch McConnell is the man who won't say what he thinks ever. So it's rare to see what McConnell actually strongly, truly believes. I think we actually did see that to some extent in his really nasty, furious speech against Trump during the impeachment vote. But what we haven't seen since then is McConnell mentioning Trump's name. So we're looking at the situation where Trump can lob as many bombs as he wants. All Mitch McConnell wants to do is move on. That's not going to be so easy because while the Senate infrastructure bill got passed and McConnell got that, basically was in support of the bipartisan bill once they agreed on it and voted for it at the end of the day. And I think that was partially to show that the filibuster doesn't block every single thing and give him a counter argument against that. There are a lot of fights coming. And McConnell remains master of the Senate and his own conference, by and large, and kind of in control of things as long as you're talking about, you know, within the walls of the Capitol, as long as Trump's folks aren't actually physically raiding the Capitol on that day. But when we start talking about what's going to happen to McConnell's conference going forward, that's a much trickier situation for the Senate Minority Leader. And we obviously saw that already uh, with Trump screwing McConnell out of Senate Majority Leadership by basically torpedoing uh, the chances of David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler in the runoff election the day before January 6th and handing Democrats control of the Senate right now. And we're seeing this already with Trump demanding strong fealty and a pledge to back his election lies from a lot of these Senate candidates. 
And that's a problem for Mitch McConnell, more so that it's going to make them possibly get some folks who are unelectable than any basic moral standing that McConnell has about dispelling all of these lies about the election. Right. There was this gigantic slate of Republican Senate candidates who are being lined up in state after state after state who are essentially running on the lie that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. And this is in large part because Trump is actively demanding it, both publicly, implicitly, and explicitly behind the scenes as well. You've been tracking that very closely and how these election lies are throttling, at least for an establishment guy like Mitch McConnell, all of these different Republican Senate races. Yeah, it could really screw up the Republican hopes to recapture the Senate majority. And it's a 50-50 Senate, so they only need that one seat in the next election to take back control. And it's a map with a lot of purple states this time around. And, And if we're talking about the eight states where both sides think that the Senate majority is going to be decided, which is Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, and New Hampshire. New Hampshire is the only one where their most likely Senate nominee is not embracing the big lie. Governor Sununu in New Hampshire hasn't gone that far. He's criticized some voting processes and hasn't really been super strong in gone Liz Cheney level in terms of criticizing Trump for the big lie. But he stands alone on this island and every other state, either there are the couple of the leading candidates are big lie truthers or that Trump is interfering in the primary. And North Carolina is a good example where Pat McCrory, former governor, did break with Trump and say, no, like Biden actually won this election. North Carolina's results were correct. And Trump won here and Trump lost other places and isn't the president. And Trump came in and endorsed Ted Budd, who's a kind of no-name congressman who happens to have embraced the big lie in a very strong way. And Folks in North Carolina are a little nervous about that. The uh, Senator Burr's uh, leaving office and opening up the seat was saying that McCrory is the only one that he feels like can win. And so this is, I don't think Bud can't win the general election in North Carolina, to be clear. But Republicans were kind of hopeful McCrory w- would be their guy there. And in Nevada, it's interesting. It's one of the few races where McConnell and Trump are kind of on the same page. And they're backing Adam Laxalt, who's a former attorney general, grandson of a very well-known governor there. Looks good on paper, except for he was leading the charge for the Trump campaign and trying to discredit and overturn Nevada's election results. And he filed a bunch of kind of frivolous lawsuits, including one just days before 1-6 that claimed that thousands of, of undocumented immigrants had voted in Nevada. Things that are just like not proven is probably the best, kindest way to describe them. Total bullshit is a thing that is a more accurate way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, look, it's hard to disprove a negative, but it appears to be total bullshit. So that's a situation where Laxalt has gone full Trump and may not help him in the general election in Nevada, which is a pretty purple state, McConnell still sees him kind of as the best bet. And so there's the situation where Trump is coming in and fucking around in these primaries, and McConnell's kind of trying to pick his spots and figure out areas where he can actually intervene in a productive way rather than he can't go like he, he has to fight guerrilla warfare, right? Because this is still Trump's party. This is still Trump's base at this point. And he can't just come in and endorse a candidate against Trump and expect to win because Donald Trump is remarkably popular amongst Republicans. Mitch McConnell, not popular amongst his own base. And you see Republican primary ads attacking him occasionally. And so it's a situation where McConnell kind of has to stay quiet and then have his super PAC come in and strafe the air and try and bomb out candidate who he thinks might be unelectable, or they might plant 
some really nasty, hard-hitting stories early on to try and, and knock somebody out. So, Cam, Trump has picked kind of his favorite in Georgia. And as I understand, that candidate does not even live in Georgia right now. Can you fill us in what's happening there? Yeah, and that might be the, the least of his problems. So Trump has a really long-standing relationship and, and friendship with Herschel Walker, who played for him in that failed football league that, that Donald Trump had going that tried to go <laughs> to the NFL and lapsed. To be clear, the degree to which a post-presidency Donald Trump loves this guy and is trying to get him to run for office actually runs deeper than just him saying like, oh yeah, I like this guy. We've had reporting in the past couple of months or so that he has conference called in senators on phone calls that he's having with Herschel Walker trying to get the people on Capitol Hill to urge Herschel Walker to run. This is something where he's had a sustained pressure campaign to get his buddy to run for office. And now it seems it might blow up in Republicans' faces, maybe. Yeah, and it's a situation where it's not even clear that Herschel Walker really wants to run for Senate. And it's not re- it's pretty clear at this point that that McConnell and a lot of Republicans are worried about Herschel Walker, who I think has done a lot of good work talking publicly about all of his mental health problems and has what's commonly known as borderline personality disorder. But, you know, he had a lot of issues, you know, threatened his former wife, really, you know, threatened to get violent with her, threatened to kill her at one point, uh, at least she's claimed. And so this is the type of thing that you may not want running in Senate ads. And there are other viable options in Georgia that are Republicans think that could actually win in a state that is generally pretty Republican and was really the first time in 2020 that we saw that it could be a purple state. And they're hoping to beat uh, Senator Warnock. And Herschel Walker is not the bet that they want to make there where he's got a lot of possible weaknesses. Problem is Donald Trump has been yelling about Herschel Walker since I, I think March was when he first came out and publicly endorsed him and pushed him to run, issued a statement saying, run Herschel, run. And there's, it's really hard if you're a Republican who has some ambitions to run for the Senate, who maybe is going along with the big lie and has been a Trump supporter, but you're not going to go against the president when he's calling for that. And so Walker hasn't gotten in. Republicans are, are nervously awaiting for him to make his decision. And it could be a total disaster for them and lose a seat that they're hoping to win in a state that really should lean Republican in a midterm. So it's a big problem for them. And it's not just there. If you want to talk about Alabama, Mo Brooks, I think you guys probably Oh, know. God. Okay. Let's talk about Mo Brooks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Absolute king all-star. Okay. And this is definitely one of the states that is on McConnell's target list. Yeah. And it's a state, look, Alabama, unless you nominate Roy Moore, is probably not going to be competitive in the general election. But you have to remember that McConnell has to deal with these dudes after they win their seats. And we've seen cases where Republican senators get elected and they end up causing more headaches for McConnell than any Democrat ever could. And yeah, I, I think we, we see one of Trump's best buddies in the Senate, Ron Johnson, has done this pretty regularly. Obviously, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul over the years have done this. And then the latest example we saw in ten, you know, Tennessee Senator Bill Haggerty, who's uh, actually was kind of, you know, had some establishment backing, but Trump, he was Trump's ambassador to Japan. And that's the reason really that he won uh, his Senate race. And 
he was the one who basically just forced all these Republicans and Democrats too, but made them all come back for extra days on this infrastructure bill and forced them all to waste part of their August recess and their vacations and, and all of the events they had planned back home just because of Pete, basically. He was just being a jerk. And that's the type of thing that McConnell doesn't want to deal with going forward. And so you look to Alabama where Mo Brooks has got Trump's strong backing. And it's kind of funny because Mo Brooks was not a big Trump backer. Back in 16, he was pretty critical, but he's became one of the loudest Stop the Steal supporters. He spoke at the rally right before the attacks on the Capitol. He's revealed recently to my buddy Jim Newell over at Slate that he was wearing a bulletproof vest just in case on that day. And so because of how peaceful and serene everything was. Never be too careful. Yeah, exactly. And so like, look, he's a big Trump guy, which I don't actually think would be disqualified for McConnell. The big disqualifying thing was McConnell already didn't like him. And in that 2017 race that Roy Moore ended up winning the primary, McConnell's super PAC came in and dumped, I believe, tens of millions of dollars on Mo Brooks' head, pointing out that he hadn't liked, hadn't liked Trump before because they're trying to get their guy through, Luther Strange. And Mo Brooks detests McConnell and will just actively come in and fuck with him. And so it's a thing where McConnell doesn't want to deal with Mo Brooks. He doesn't want him in the Senate. And so Richard Shelby, who's retiring, his former chief of staff is running, and she's raised a ton of money. That's got Shelby's fingerprints all over it. Shelby's backing her, but it also signals that national Republicans might be quietly lining up to hopefully be able to stop Brooks in that race. And so that'll be one of those guerrilla warfare type situations where McConnell might never come out and endorse against Brooks, but he is certainly praying that Brooks doesn't come to the Senate. Cam, before you guys get going, something else we want to talk to you about, Cam, is your reporting on how... Texas nowadays has become ground zero for this Republican attack on voting rights and expanded voting rights. You've done some reporting recently on how the most horrific part of the bill that is working its way through that state legislature has actually been stripped out. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah. So it's interesting that some of this pressure actually did work. We saw this earlier in Georgia, where some of the most egregious measures of the bill ended up coming out before it got passed, including limiting Sunday voting, which really really targeted African-American voters. In Texas, we saw something similar, where it was a really, really over-the-top Machiavellian bill that was clearly designed to, and very obviously designed to screw Democrats and especially suppress Black and, and Hispanic voters. And what we saw was after Democrats started raising a huge sting, stormed out and prevented Republicans from having a quorum to actually vote on the bill, and then fled the state to cause further delays, it bill actually got a little bit better. And so we saw Republicans drop two items, one of which would basically let them overturn local elections and say, oh, the county wasn't doing things right. We're going to just say that the election wasn't fair and the state legislature would decide who had won. And the second part would be cutting Sunday voting, which would have screwed the all of the African-American church groups that do souls to the polls events. So those came out. There are still some really problematic things in the bill, but they're a little more targeted. And it's kind of ironic that the party of limited government and local control has done this in a bunch of states, Georgia and Texas at the top of it, where basically they've made it so that the county counties can't do what they want to do in order to make it easier to vote. And so they're targeting these blue counties that have tried to expand voting. And in Texas, what they're trying to do in this final bill has, which I'm guessing will pass pretty soon, is ban drive-through voting, ban 24-hour voting, and ban the counties from being able to send out ballot applications for mail-in voting without a request coming in first. And so it's just additional hurdles to these purple to blue trending, more urban areas where Democratic voting was booming in the last election, and they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. Cam, thank you so much for joining us. This is disturbing as always, but we love keeping up with it. 
Happy to bring the dystopia. Thanks for having me. And now let's move on to the segment that we like to call Fresh Hell. And in this week's installment, we will be talking about how the audit never dies. Kelly, what is the worst thing that you're tracking right now that's going on on the Eastern Seaboard? Well, not even Virginia, where Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by 10 points, is immune from calls for election audits, much like the clown show going on in Arizona right now. So my uh, favorite Virginia state senator, Amanda Chase, is fresh off a failed gubernatorial run. And what do you do after failing that? Well, she has pivoted straight into calls for a $70 million audit of Virginia's very conclusively pro-Biden election. So Chase started this call by saying that she was going to add $70 million to Virginia's legislative budget for an audit. She immediately failed on that count by forgetting to file the paperwork on time. Of course. So now conveniently, she is talking about maybe crowdfunding $70 million for this audit. How is that going? Well, the funny thing about these audits is it is always incredibly hard to track if anybody is crowdfunding them. We only just found out that Arizona's audit is being crowdfunded by a motley crew of OAN personalities, of furniture CEOs, of Lynn Wood, the uh, messianic QAnon lawyer. So the short answer is that we don't really know if anyone is giving her money for an audit. But these things do tend to pull in money. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was some scheming about how to get that cash cow moving. Right. And most of the audit fever that's been sweeping different states since the 2020 election have been in swing states or states that were on the map as, okay, this is critical for Donald Trump to win. And Joe Biden ended up winning it. That's why Arizona is such a gigantic fixture among these conspiracy theorists. Virginia is a really funny one, to me at least, for them to focus on because that is nowadays a solidly blue state. I'm not sure if, well, solidly might be pushing it a little bit, but it's kind of somewhere between purple and blue. The days of it being a swing state for a presidential election are, at least for now, significantly in the rearview mirror. That's right. And you have to remember that for a lot of Trump fans, they believed in his ability to like sweep the country, right? Before the election, there was this projected map and it was just all red, you know, but God, he's done it. He's won every state. Did he win New York? He did win New York. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) And so when these folks talk about auditing every state, they, some of them do actually think that they can overturn the vote. They do honestly think that New York and California went for uh, Donald Trump secretly, but a lot of them have a more long-term view of it. They think that by hosting these audits, they can undermine confidence in the electoral process, that they can make it easier to pass restrictive voting legislation or to question the vote when Donald Trump probably loses in 2024. So for some of them, it's the long game. And for some of them, frankly, it's the cash game. It's trying to crowdfund $70 million. Uh, Speaking of the cash game, let's play a quick clip from one of Chase's Facebook videos on the subject, just so we can hear how on the level this truly is. You all know I have been spearheading the effort to lead a forensic audit here in Virginia. Today, I am dropping a budget amendment. 
of $70 million. Uh, what I also want to talk about are the two budget amendments that I mentioned to you all earlier. And the first bill had to do with the forensic audit. That bill was not, uh, we, we submitted the paperwork, but they said that it was not submitted in time. And um, of course, we could, we could. Uh, so having tracked this, do you think it was ever the intention to file on time? It's funny because Amanda Chase said she filed several budget amendments and some of them made the cutoff and some of them like this $70 million one, which would have been immediately shut down. Oh, shucks, it didn't make the cutoff. So that's a little convenient. If I were going to the boss and asking for a million dollar raise, I might also play with the timeline there with the understanding that I would never ultimately get it. So I think there's a good chance she missed it on purpose. Have you ever interacted with her? Wouldn't you know it? So Amanda Chase has been on my radar for a minute now. During the height of the Black Lives Matter protests last summer, she shared a post saying that Black Lives Matter and I believe Antifa were uh, coming to the suburbs to murder white families. So I wrote about that as you do. I subsequently profiled her and she went on Facebook and she shared my phone number. And then she'd gone to my Twitter and searched like Kelly Weil tweets with the word Antifa, which are all jokes. Like, so she took screenshots of them. I said, like, they should let Antifa into the Met Gala. I don't even know what I was referring to, just a complete non sequitur. And the implication is that, like, I am Antifa and you should call my phone number. So, uh, and then she got that post taken down and said that Facebook was suppressing her. So she's clearly back on Facebook unimpeded. So that's my old friend. And I wish her well in her quest to get $70 million. Did that lead to a little bit of an uptick on unsolicited phone calls and text messages on your phone. Yes, I did get a number of number withheld calls, which I just don't answer. Like send me an email with a burner email account. I just, I need to respect that little bit of effort, but folks got pretty discouraged there pretty quickly. Those died off. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.